a true friend of mine. Uh, I'll make it my business to, uh, you know, bug him at least once every month. You know, talk to him and, you know, just gotten to know him over the years. And so it's just been a great uh, friendship uh, uh, built and uh, it's just a tremendous blessing to our fellowship. Uh, I'm assistant Pastor Campbell there in Chandler, Arizona. So let's give him a warm Hampton Rolls welcome as he makes his way. Amen. Bless you, man. Amen. Good to see you tonight. Uh, glad you made it back. It's always good when they come back. It's like a restaurant. Sometimes you leave a restaurant and you say, I'm never going back there. And sometimes people leave church like that. But thank God, you know, when you, when you um, what's the beauty of our fellowship is, is that our churches are built on preaching. And if people really want God, then it's inescapable that they want preaching. And so you fall in love with preaching. And when you hear preaching, you come back. If you see a lot of other stuff, it's up in the air, you're going to come back. And so I am glad to be here tonight. appreciate the invitation. Uh, your pastor, uh, Pastor Howard, as he mentioned, getting to know him very well and uh, just a blessing here. So I'm glad to see what God is doing uh, here, man. You know, this brings me back. I'm like in my, in my old stomping ground a little bit around here. We were talking about Spring Lake, your pastor and I today, and... Uh, it's bringing back some very fond memories. I remember driving home from here one night. I must have saw uh, 35 deer. <laughs> I'm driving home by myself. It was like a horror movie. <laughs> Seriously. I, I, you know, you think it's like a mirage. Like you're not seeing what you're seeing. One time I saw three or four just in the road. And they just standing there. And I'm like. I'm blowing a horn from a mom shining bright, and they're looking at me like, you're going to you're gonna have to go around, you know. So I, I, I've been tormented from that ever since, but hey, man, we're going to have a good time tonight. I encourage you to lock your mind in tonight. Uh, I want to speak on something that uh, I believe if you'll catch it, man, it, it, it can help you in, in many, many ways, no matter where you are as a child of God, uh, just, uh, just living life. Uh, uh, very, very critical. Proverbs chapter 23. And toward the end of President Donald Trump's presidency, he fired his personal assistant. Her name was Madeline Westerhot. Said that she resigned but, or abruptly quit, but really she was dismissed. She was fired. And the reason she was fired, she got fired for sharing personal information about the president and his family and what she considered to be an off the record dinner with media reporters. So she went to this dinner with some media members and she started insulting the president and his family. She said of Ivanka Trump, she said she is severely overweight, fat. P-H-A-T. She said of the other daughter, she said, you know, Donald Trump's relationship with his daughter is so bad. She said, I probably have a better relationship with Donald Trump than he has with his own children. One of the media that were there leaked the story of what she had said, and they quoted her as saying this. She had a couple of drinks. This is what the newspaper said. And in an uncharacteristically unguarded moment, 
she opened up to a reporter. I want you to think about this. One unguarded moment at an off-the-record dinner, and she lost her highly touted position. Quite possibly changed the trajectory of her life forever. In our text tonight, we have a similar situation. Solomon is speaking about having a dinner with somebody, and you have no idea that the person you're having that dinner with may have a totally different idea of what's going on at that dinner than what you have. I want to speak to you tonight about words you speak and the words you allow to be spoken into your life and their influence. Preach a sermon I've entitled tonight, More Than a Meal. And this text is allegorical, and so follow with me. It has a hidden meaning all the way through it. Proverbs 23, verse 1 says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. One other translation says, for that food is deceptive. God, we come tonight by the Holy Ghost. God, I'm asking you to give us a revelation of influence and words and Things that we allow people to speak into our lives, God, we know words are powerful, God. But I'm asking you, God, to give us clarity, wisdom, and discernment as we navigate, God, I pray, this area of our lives. We give you glory tonight in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. More than a meal. Let's look firstly tonight at sitting at the table. The setting of our text tonight is a dinner table. And when you and I think of a dinner, we think of eating. I personally think of seafood and shrimp. Since I've been to Barbados, I was telling your pastor today, man, I've eaten barracuda. I've eaten lionfish, man, some of the things, incredible fish. I just grew up with, with, you know, regular old fried catfish. And that's good, too, but there's other things out there. And even verse one, but this is where I go. And our text says, when you sit down to eat. And so while that is one element at a dinner table, the truth is the table implies more than a meal. Lots of other things happen at the table besides eating. There is conversation at the table. There is fellowship or communion or the idea of covenant. We're in relationship together when we sit down at the table. And so while commonly people will come to Proverbs 23 uh, and they will consider the, the, the matter of gluttony because it has to do with food. Uh, but I want to look at a little bit deeper issue that is taking place. And I believe our text is pointing to tonight. And it is the issue of influence. How many know we live in the age of influencers? I mean, today people are getting six figure salaries, sometimes even more than that uh, on social media just for their ability to influence other people. Verse one of our text says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler or king, the king obviously tonight speaks to authority, but it actually represents something much more. The king represents anyone that you would give influence to in your life. It could be a friend. It could be a co-worker, an associate. Somebody you barely even know. It could be a family member. It could be a teacher, a professor. It could be your boss at work. And his table tonight is the place of influence. How many know that when you feed somebody, 
it gives you influence with them. How many here, you've heard the statement, a way to a man's heart is through his what? Stomach. Napoleon once said that an army marches on its stomach. And so the idea is if you feed people good enough, you can get them to do anything you want them to do. It is always interesting uh, uh, to watch our church. We have home Bible studies and we'll put the list up of all the new Bible study leaders and people are to go over there. It might be six. It might be eight. And people go sign up where they want to go to Bible study. We put the sign up sheets and it, it became known to me that many people are picking based off how well the wife cooks. They're like, I'm like, man, why does, why does that couple, why they got so many people? And they're like, man, have you ate his wife's cooking? Like, pastor. And so, and so that begs me to say, well, wh why did that person only got two people? <laughs> I say, brother, your, my, your wife must can't cook, man. Power of food. I mean, in our fellowship alone, we have discovered the world's greatest outreach strategy. Hot dogs. I like to refer to them as tube steaks. In the corporate world, they're always inviting clients to eat. They actually have a term called whining and dining. And so they'll take you out to a nice restaurant. And uh, they're not necessarily doing that because they like you. They're doing it because they want to close a business deal with you. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's business. That's modern day corporate America. That's how we do things. That's the democratic way we feed them and fleece them. And I get that. But even more than that, there's just such a social element when it comes to eating. We do all kind of things over a meal. We celebrate things like weddings and graduations over a meal. We have church fellowships over a meal. Can you imagine going to a fellowship and they didn't have any food? You're like, hey, hey, where's the food, man? <laughs> I can go run and get some, man, if y'all need some help around it. And they're like, no, we're not going to have any food tonight. We're just going to sit around and we're going to talk. You're like, that's weird, bro. See, we are social beings. And food at the table is a social event. And because we are social beings, we have to understand that our behavior can be profoundly affected by social influences. In our text, we have the picture of a man or woman being invited to the king's table. And the thought here is this individual is absolutely out of their element. There's different temptations. There may be the temptation to want to impress the king. To act like you're somebody you're not. I uh, mentioned a bit of the other the other day. I grew up in the, the hood of St. Louis. Just recently read a couple articles that it is the murder capital of America. And but because I could play basketball, I got I, I got a scholarship and I got shifted out to a high school, which might be the best high school in, in St. Louis area. Honestly, it's called St. Louis Priory. It's a private all boys. You got to wear a uniform, all kind of things. And so uh, once I start going there, I would start spending the night at some of these guys' house. And, you know, you want to try to not act hood, you know. So 
you know, their dads are lawyers and doctors and judges and dignitaries of the city. And so you're trying to fit in. And one, one time I, I asked a guy, you know, uh, for some water. He said, yeah, go ahead, help yourself. And I went to the sink and turned it on. And he like, he like no, 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 no. It's in the refrigerator. So I opened the refrigerator and I'm looking for the milk jug. Help me out, somebody. I'm like, oh, man, ain't got no milk jug in there. What y'all? He said, no, on the outside, this is where you just, now this was back in the early 90s. I'm like, oh, y'all water just come out like this? Man. But you know, I was trying to make it like I fit in. That's a temptation at the table. There's also a temptation to desire the king's lifestyle. In other words, once you eat his food, there's a temptation that now you're going to want his lifestyle. Interesting to note that following our text tonight in verse four, we didn't read it in our opening, but it warns against the pursuit of wealth. Verse four says, do not overwork to be rich. Now, those first three verses don't seem to be leading up to that. And so you say, well, where did that come from? But it came from sitting across from the table with a bunch of rich people talking about their lifestyles, uh, talking about, you know, their yachts and their private jets uh, and all of their lavish vacations. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, what, what kind of car I'm going to drive today and all of this. And the thought here is here's a man or woman. They're sitting across with a king, uh, someone of great wealth. Uh, and once that man gets up from the table, that man or woman, uh, all of a sudden now they want that wealth. They want the lifestyle of the person he just sat down at the table with. Now, remember tonight, we're talking about influence. So I say that to say that could be the same for any lifestyle. You sit down with people that are fornicating. And by the time you get up from that table and leave that dinner, if you're not careful, you'll be a little bit more open to fornicating. Same with drinking alcohol or any other lifestyle you want to put in that place, what happens is when you go into covenant, you begin to listen to other people, hear their story. If you're not careful, their influence has made its mark on you. Listen to me tonight because I'm simply saying this, that you must understand that many times the test is at the table. The test is at the table. See, the table represents tonight your downtime. The time where you relax, uh, you're not at work, you're not at church, you're not on alert, you're you're comfortable. Notice in our text, verse one says they are sitting down at the table. And the idea here is they're just kind of maxing and relaxing. Uh, There's kickback kind of hanging out. uh, And it's like uh, there's just like we say, you know, there's things that happen at church that don't happen everywhere else. Same can be said of the table. There are things that happen at a table that don't happen anywhere else. There are things that are said at the table that I dare say aren't said anywhere else. It's at the table where we have a tendency to let our guard down and lower our inhibitions, especially our spiritual ones. The book of Judges, God told Gideon, he said, listen, I don't want you to observe your men in battle because it's in battle where they're going to be prepared. They're going to know what's coming. He said, I want you to observe them where when they're drinking water. He says, bring them to the water and I will test them there. Judges chapter seven, verse five. So Gideon brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, all those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps, you shall put to one side. All those who kneel to drink, put their hands to their mouth 
you shall put to the other side. In other words, don't observe them when they're expecting you to observe them. Observe them, Gideon, when they're letting their hair down. I want you to observe them in their downtime. The table represents downtime, and thus again, the test is at the table. The test of influence is at the table. Let's look secondly then at consider carefully. Verse 1 of our text says that when you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. That term means to look closely, uh, to perceive, use wisdom, uh, have some discernment. Consider carefully why. Because as I mentioned, there's more at the table that's happening than just the meal. Table has other implications. So when Solomon says to consider carefully in our text, he's not talking about food. Wow, look at that steak. Wow, look at that lobster. No, that's not what he's talking about. The idea here is you've got to be very careful whose table you eat with at, or in other words, who you allow to have influence in your life. Consider carefully what is before you. What he's saying is consider carefully the words you digest. He's talking about looking beyond the layout of the food. You know, sometimes the layout that's in front of you can actually be a diversion of something else that is a hidden agenda. I mean, think about our text. How many know a ruler is not typically in the habit of just inviting anyone to eat with them? You know, if I got a call from the White House and they said, you know, the president wants to have you over for dinner. I might have a little sanctified skepticism. Yeah, bro, Joe, Joe Biden said he want to have you over to the. What do you want? He, he called you? Why call you? Tell him to call me. But see, our text is referring to the motives behind our text, which are an extension of this text. We read in verse 8 something very interesting. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up. And waste your pleasant words. Words. See, Solomon is alluding. He says you're going to waste your pleasant words. And so he's alluding to the fact that when we're eating, one of the major components of sitting at a table eating is the words that are being exchanged, the conversation that is happening. Verse 3 again, do not desire his delicacies. The delicacies are like sugars and sweets. In the natural, we know those things soften you up. They lower our resistance. And so in this context, the delicacies are sweet and flattering words being spoken by the person of influence. Then verse 7, which may be the most quoted verse concerning the heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we use that scripture for all sorts of things. But Solomon is talking about a man who has impure motives coming from his heart and you're sitting across the table with him and you have no idea. You think it's just genuine. And he says here, he said, he goes on to say, he says, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. You know, you can be eating and drinking with somebody and it seems like we're getting along. It seems like we're just having a great time. But Solomon says, hold up now. Their heart might not be with you. Pastor Campbell, years ago, speaking of 
Jacob and Esau, you might remember the quote. He said, one dinner with the wrong person can ruin your destiny. Think about this Madeline Westerhart, this assistant of Donald Trump. She goes to dinner probably, probably like she's done hundreds of times before, and she's expecting to talk to these reporters off the record. But little did she know that there was a reporter there whose heart was not with her. He had a different agenda. See, you're at this table, and the delicacies of their words are saying one thing, but their heart can be saying something else. Listen to me, young man, young woman. You've got to be very careful who you share your heart with. Who you go into covenant with. Who you allow to speak into your life. One of the more determining factors of your life is who you allow to speak into your life. The guy at work hitting on you wants to buy you lunch. Could actually be the enemy courting you. 1 Corinthians 14.10, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. This is what he says. He says, listen, he says, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world. There are so many kinds of voices in the world. Goes on to say, and none of them is without significance. Every single voice out there has meaning, has significance. So he goes on to say in verse 11, therefore, if I know not, the meaning of the voice. Again, there's so many kinds of voices, none of them without significance. But if I do not know the meaning of the voice, I will be likened unto him that speaketh a barbarian. Basically, another translation says, I will be like a foreigner that you don't understand their language. And he that speaks to me shall be as a foreigner or barbarian as well. Now, you and I know the immediate context here is the gift of tongues. Speaking in tongues in a church service and Paul is instructing them on how to conduct the church, conduct themselves where things are decent and in order. How many know God is not the author of confusion? And he so he's helping them to make sure that there's some edifying going on so people don't just come together and it's all feeling. No, he says there's got to be some clarity. There's got to be some instruction. There's got to be some teaching. There's got to be some communication uh, so that people can receive something to take with them, uh, that they don't just go home and say, man, that was that was such a great service. Well, what was it about? I don't know. It, it was just good. Well, what was good about it? I don't know. It just felt good. And that's wonderful that it felt great to be in church. But he says there should be some takeaways. And so this is the immediate context, uh, what he's talking about. He's talking about languages, these voices that are in the world. And again, as he's specifically speaking in t about speaking in tongues, the gift of the spirit. Listen to me now. At the same time, there are some principles that we need to glean here tonight, uh, that there are many kind of voices in this world and in your life. And every single one of them has significance, has relevance, has importance. But listen, if you do not know the meaning of the voice, then it is unfruitful, it is not beneficial, and it won't work to your advantage. He says it could actually be detrimental to you. And so seeing that each voice is significant, we have to be very careful what type of voices are in our lives. It's important to know the meaning. 
It's important to know the intentions, the motive of the voice, because he says, or else we'll be like foreigners to one another. In other words, if I don't know the meaning of the voice that's speaking to me, then it'll be like we're speaking two different languages. And so this person can be saying one thing to you, but you're hearing something totally different. Or what I'm hearing is not at all what they're saying. Now, I'm not talking about being this kind of person, you know, where everything is a conspiracy and everybody's out to get you. I mean, I didn't title this sermon Area 51. <laughs> We're not saying that here this evening, but listen, you do have an adversary. There absolutely is an enemy of your soul, and part of you making it for God is having some discernment, having some awareness. And so I have to ask the question, who is speaking into your life right now? Who has your ear? There's a book of speaking to a pastor friend of mine. He told me about a book and it's called the Minnesota Connection. And it is about this guy. It's a true story. It's about this guy in the 1970s. He was a pimp. And uh, and so he would walk the streets to pick up on women and he tells in the book, he says, he makes the statement, he says, within a week of meeting them, he was able to turn them into prostitutes. First of all, he would just walk the streets and he would kind of scope out these young girls who look vulnerable and he would maybe see, you know, uh, they got suitcases or something that they're alone. And, and he would walk up to him, introduce himself. And he started having conversations with them. Where are you from? Or, oh, I'm from, you know, Chicago or where? Oh, are you here to visit? And he strike up and, and all of a sudden he say, you want to go have a coffee? And he'd take them to have a coffee, and he's sitting across talking to them, having a conversation. And, and, and he said, well, where are you staying tonight? Oh, well, I don't really have it. Okay, no, I'll put you up in a hotel. And he'd put them up in a hotel, a nice hotel. He'd come back the next day, uh, and uh, he, he would take the girl. He'd take her out shopping, pick whatever you want, get something, buys her something. Uh, the next day, he would take her to a nice restaurant, wine and diner. Uh, and he said he would leave. He would always have a series of questions. One of the questions he always asked, check this out. He said, tell me about your relationship with your father. And see, my point is, this young lady thinks she's just having a conversation. But what he's doing is he's asking probing questions because he knows he's going somewhere. He knows that by the end of the week, you're going to be a prostitute. So then by the fourth or fifth day, he sleeps with her. And when he sleeps with her, he offers her money. And she'll say something like, I don't, I don't want the money. I'm not a prostitute. And he'll look her dead in the eye. He'll say, you are now. It's at that point, he says he would have two or three of his other ladies who worked for him come into the room and he would commence the beating one right in front of this girl, this new girl. He'd beat her. And, and, and what he'd do after he beat her, he'd look at this new girl and say, if you don't if you don't comply, what happened to her is going to happen to you. And he'd walk out of the room. And the other girls would kind of start consoling her, come around her and say, look, you know, he just 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 do what he says. This is not so bad. And they would start talking to her and, and consoling her. And by the end of that week, she'd be working for him. And it all started with a cup of coffee. But see, he had a different motive. So I was thinking the other day, the reality many times is a woman or a young lady gives her body because she wants love. But a man speaks love many times because he wants her body. Yeah. 
So who comes out worse? So listen to me, only a man can speak words all day. He can tell the same story to girl after girl after girl. You're the one. I love you. No skin off his back. It's just words. It costs him nothing. But listen to me, young lady. Once you give your body, it's a whole different story. It's going to cost you a lot more. See, in our text, the king is offering you something that appeals to your fleshly appetites. Verse two and three. If you are a person given to appetite, do not desire, desire his delicacies. That word desire means to lust after. See, today when we, uh, you know, think about the word lust, we automatically think of sexual immorality. We think of adultery, fornication. We think about all these things. But most of the time, we don't think about the word lust as it relates to food. But you know, when God dealt with the nation of Israel and their problems, he never really talked about the other stuff. He always dealt with the fact that they were lusting after food and drink. That was their lust. He said over in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. You know what it was? Verse 7. The people sat down to eat and drink. Psalm 78, verse 18. The children of Israel says they tempted God in their heart. How? By asking God for meat to satisfy their lusts. Numbers 11, 4, and the children of Israel fell a lusting, and they also wept, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? Then Philippians 3, 19 even goes as far as to say there are plenty of people whose God is their belly. Yeah. Are you catching the imagery here? What he's saying is their God is their flesh. In other words, it's possible to be ruled by your flesh. That's what our text is saying tonight. If you are a person given to appetite, in other words, if you don't have dominion over your flesh, if you like to hear the tasty morsels, if you're a person who just, oh, yeah, just and you and you want to hear all the latest gossip and what happened and who and you're just this person. He says, listen, you got to be very careful what it is you desire. Don't desire those delicacies. What he's saying is your physical appetite, your flesh, can cause your spiritual discernment to be compromised. You know, in America, we live in a world where the average person consumes 436 calories per day in a world. But the average American, 3,564. Average person, 400. Average American, 4,000. Let me figure it out. It really is hard to sit down to a supersized Big Mac, French fries, fried apple pie, and a milkshake, and pray. <laughs> oh, help me eat all this food, Jesus. See, what our text is saying, we are prone to sell our loyalties in order to satisfy our physical desires. And a huge part of making it for God, listen to me, is you've got to learn how to curb your appetite, not for food, but for what somebody might be feeding you. Oh, guess what I heard? Did you hear about so-and-so? Guess what happened to... 
Proverbs 18, 8, the words of a gospel are like a tasty morsel. So if you're somebody who desires things like that, he says you have to learn how to curb your appetite. Truth is, we can all get caught up in the moment. So entrapped and raptured by the words of a person of influence that we get blinded to the big picture of what is really going on um, and so focus on somewhat what someone is saying that we can miss the, the big picture. You don't believe me. I asked them to show a video. Don't play it yet. But I saw this video. You can you can set it up. And I'm going to play it for you, but I need you to listen to what the narrator is saying. And I want to have you. You can you can put it up, but I need you to listen intently to what the narrator is saying. Make sure the volume is up for us. Listen to what the narrator is saying. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white Is 13. But did you see the moon walking there? <laughs> How many of you missed the moonwalking bear? Raise your hand. Look around you. Look around you. Just hold it up if you miss the moonwalking bear. Look at all them hands. How? How do we miss the moonwalking bear? How do we miss the moonwalking bear? I'll tell you how. Because we're so focused on what the narrator is telling us that we miss the moonwalking bear. We're so focused on what the narrator is saying that we miss the big picture, the moonwalking bear. Listen to me tonight, church. There are going to be times when the enemy is trying to narrate over your life. He's going to seek to speak into your life because he does not want you to see the big picture of what God is trying to do in your life. And if we're not careful, we can totally miss what Jesus is trying to do. Well, why? Because we're listening to the enemy's voice instead of God's. You don't think it's a big deal about listening? That's why Romans 10, 17, it does, it's interesting. We know this. It doesn't say faith comes by watching. It doesn't say faith comes by reading. It doesn't say faith comes by doing good deeds. Or it doesn't say faith comes by praying. It says faith comes by what? Hearing. But I would also just throw in there that the lack of faith also comes by hearing. What you listen to matters. Who has your ear tonight? Who are you listening to tonight? Because your faith or lack thereof will be directly linked to what you hear. I got a call today. A guy started talking. He started telling me something right before I came here. And I said, listen to me, listen to me. And I could tell he was affected. He heard some, he was talking to this guy. It had nothing to do with the church, nothing. But I said, listen, I can tell in your spirit you're affected by what this guy just told you. And I said, listen to me, listen to me. And we prayed. I said, you got to rebuke these words because words are powerful. 
Trust me, the enemy of your soul understands this. Think about Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They take of the fruit, they eat it, and then God comes looking for them in the cool of the day. God comes looking, he comes looking for them. The first thing he says to them, he doesn't say, you know, you messed up uh, the whole garden. Uh, he doesn't say, oh, for now, from eternity, everything's going to be messed up. Uh, he doesn't say, you know, to, to Adam and Eve, you know, Adam, how uh, my goodness, the whole garden is dead because of what you've done. He doesn't say anything about what they did. The first thing he, God says to Adam and Eve, he looks at them and he goes, who told you you were naked? Who you been listening to? Tell me, who told you that? In other words, he says, listen, I'm the creator of the world. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I created the garden. I created everything you need. I made both of you so you can enjoy one another's company and also commune with me. He says, I got to get this straight. Who told you you were naked? Because now. All of a sudden, you're running away from me. Yeah. See, who you listen to is huge. That's exactly what got Eve into trouble is because she was listening to the narrator. There's people here tonight. There's a narrator in your life right now other than God. There's another voice in your head and you're listening to them. Oh, but thank God you're here tonight. Because God can speak to you. See, he desperately wants to be the narrator of your life. Again, verse 8, the morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up. What he's saying is what, what, what they're feeding you is going to make you sick. What they're feeding you is actually poison. You're going to eat it and digest it. He's saying, but listen, it's going to mess you up, man. Let's close and talk about put a knife to your throat. I, I, I wouldn't have titled this if it wasn't in the scripture, I promise. <laughs> Verse two, put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. That's a strong statement. It's interesting. It doesn't say, well, just eat in moderation. I mean, no, we're the moderation generation. But he put that here because he's calling for something radical. Put a knife to your throat. That'd be a great scripture to put up on your fridge at home. Like, hey, man, Proverbs, what, what, mom, dad, what's that about? Uh, that's just God. Something Jesus was talking about. But he's calling for radical judgment. He says, you have to do this. He says, you've got to get radical about this. You've got to be, in other words, he's saying you've got to be intentional about the voices. You can't just be somebody who listens to anybody. You can't be a person who just thinks that all food is good food. You're like, well, I just eat anything. Slow down. You can't just eat anything and everything. Need to know your appetites. Need to set some boundaries and we don't just need a discipline of appetite. We need a discipline of heart. How many know that's the real issue? The issue is our hearts. Daniel 1, 5, we know the text. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies of the wine which they drank. Why? So that they might serve the king. Lowercase king. See, it all comes down to who are we going to serve? That's why in verse 8 it says, but Daniel purposed where? In his heart, uh, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. 
Daniel basically said, no thanks, king. I'm just going to put a knife to my throat. What you're trying to feed me is going to compromise my relationship with God. Going to compromise my relationship with my church, my relationship with my pastor, with my relationship with the fellowship. And so he's saying, listen, king, I'm sorry. I got to get radical about this and I'm going to judge myself. Can't just be the person I'm taking in anything. Got to be careful who you lend influence to. That's why this generation with all these Internet preachers. Listen. They're not necessarily the enemy, but come on, you don't even know them. You know, more and more I talk to more people who seem to know a lot of doctrine today. Well, I don't see nowhere in the Bible where it talks about altar calls. Sinner's prayer, where I? Why we got to walk down the aisle? Where is that in the Bible? Where those people say tithing, tithing's Old Testament. See, I told you earlier, just because what they are saying sounds good or just because it's something that you want to be true. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to become the spiritual authority in your life. You can't watch their marriage. You can't watch their children. But all of a sudden, they're going to replace your pastor. Second Timothy 310. But you have carefully followed my doctrine My manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Here the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, he says, what validates my ministry in your life is you have followed. You have seen my life, my faith. You've watched me go through hardships and persecutions. You've seen how I treat people. You've watched me persevere. In other words, it's more than words that sound good. He's saying you have seen a lifestyle that matches the words. Listen, I understand Proverbs says wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors, but it is talking about people who you know to be godly counsel. Truth is, we all need some people in our life who will speak real with us. The young folks like to say, keep it 100. I keep it 100. I keep it 100. Well, last week you was about 98. Find someone like it says in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Anybody have a friend like that? You feel like they've wounded you a few times? <laughs> it's always, hey, does this outfit look good? Define good. I can count on some faithful friends. They don't care who I am. They don't care what I've done. They don't care about nothing, man. They're able to say, Tori, let me speak to you. Let's wind this down. Revelation 3.20, because if you're going to thrive as a Christian, you've got to eat at the right table. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Very interesting text because it is a picture of Christ not being able to even get into his own church to have supper with him. A couple ways to look at this. He wants to come in and his purpose is to eat with him. In other words, what he's saying is, I want to speak into your life. I want to have influence in your life. The other thought is they're already on the inside at the dinner table having dinner. And Jesus is saying, I'm not even a part of that meal. Well, he said, I just want to come in and dine with you. Well, in other words, we've all been to a fellowship somewhere. That somehow it's just kind of carnal. Conversation's carnal. Well, 
And maybe there's new converts there. And Jesus, what he's saying is he's saying, will you invite me into that conversation? Will you invite me into that dinner? Will you let me have some influence here? Have to let the word of God be the discerner of truth. I'm going to talk about the Solomon principle. Tell this story and we're going to pray. Because it's one of the greatest principles in dealing with people and truth you're ever going to find. It always tell you, give you what's true, what's real, and what is not real. The Bible says you know the story. There's these two ladies. They're having an argument over their babies. They go to bed. Uh, the, the baby, both of their, or one of the babies die. They both have newborns. One of the babies die in the night. And they come before Solomon, and they're saying, my baby's the one who's dead, excuse me, who's alive, her baby's dead, and vice versa. And they bring the case before Solomon, and Solomon is, he, it's like he doesn't really know, he's not really sure. But what he says, he says, okay, then bring me a sword. And he says, what we're going to do, we'll just cut the baby in half, the one that's alive, and you two can share, the, the, each, you both can have a half. And the baby who's not the real mother says, oh, that's fine with me, man. Just go ahead and cut the baby. We, we can share it. And the real mother says, no, 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 no. Don't hurt the baby. Don't hurt my baby. She can have it as long as she, this baby will survive. She can have, and Solomon looks at the one who's obviously the real mother and he says, give her the baby. It's her baby. Yeah. But my point is, how did he know which baby it was? The Bible says he called for a sword. You and I know the sword is the word of God. It is the discerner of truth. When you listen to people, don't go by your feelings. Don't get all emotional with them. Don't get enraptured by how articulate, how well they can say something. Man, they sound so great and professional. They're into bring the sword. Hey, man, they don't line up with truth. That ain't the spirit of God, man. Oh, it sounds good, but that is not. I don't think God would say that. It's very simple. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Bible is a discerner of the thoughts, the intents of the heart. I close with this story. We're going to pray. In 1812, Adonai Judson sailed as America's first missionary from Salem Harbor, Massachusetts. He landed in India with, where he met a very famous missionary, William Carey. It's called the father of modern missions. There in India, he was removed from the country by this British uh, company called British East India Company. And they did not want Americans in India. India at the time was a British colony. And so Adoniram Judson departed. His missionary opportunity, uh, you know, ended in India. But his missionary burden was still very real. And so he consulted, where should I go? He consulted with Mr. Carey and Carey told him, uh, he says, there seems to be a door of opportunity that is open in Burma. So Adonai and Justin with his wife, Nancy, they boarded a boat to go to Burma. Now, William Carey's son, Felix, was there already in Burma. And he had been commissioned by the people in India to go to Burma with the gospel. And so when Adonai Judson and his family, when they landed in Burma, they were excited. They had joy because they thought they would already have a colleague there. Imagine that. They said, we got somebody there who already knows the language. He'll help us. And when Adonai Judson got there, he met Felix Carey and he discovered that 
why Felix had been in Burma. He had, he had been there long enough. He learned the language and he also discovered that he had done nothing at all by way of Christian ministry. It was he became the translator for the king of Burma. It's heard that he was such a fabulous translator that the British East India Company, the same company that had kicked Iron Iron Judson out of India, they offered him, they offered Felix Carey a promotion. So it was through a short series of events that Felix Carey, his wife, and his two children, they sailed away from Burma. Now Adonair Justin had no help there as he worked to conquer the language. And because of that, it took him over six years before he made his first convert. You know what happened to Felix Carey upon the boat that took him away from Burma, his wife? And his two children died. The fabulous fortunes that he had hoped to gain from this British company never came to fruition. And if you were to ask his father, they say, William Carey, what happened to his son? They say he would, he would always mournfully shake his head. And he would talk about his son, Felix, listen to this, as a man who sold his loyalties for a loaf of bread. He said, my son could have made such an impact. And he went to make impact. But he had a dinner at the king's table, and because he had a gift, it was at the king's table that he was exploited away from doing what Jesus Christ had called him to do. See, that's a true story that took place in the 1800s, but I'm here to tell you, this very thing still happens today, every single day. You've got to recognize when you're sitting around, you're having conversations, many times it can be more than a meal, you got to have some discernment and wisdom, and I can't just digest everything. It can make me sick. I want you to bow your heads with me. God, we thank you.